Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. So happy to be with you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you've never read or heard us talk about the welcome prayer, you can find it on our singing and dancing website. I started singing singing and dancing website some years ago, and it just stayed. It does sort of sing and dance on its own, although we keep it very well and freshly maintained. You can find all sorts of free resources and resources that are for sale and book ideas. It's just loaded with things to encourage you in this walk as a woman of faith, a wife, a mother, and a homemaker. And the last time we were together, I began something that's very near and dear to my heart called Called to Care, titled Called to Care. What does it mean to be called to care? And it comes from a quote that I inherited. Don't you love quotes? I find so many people are sending me quotes these days. I think the internet has made quote sending easier. And when we like something, we just fire it off. And I'm trying hard to just hold on to quotes that I can use, that I can remember, that I can repeat. And this is a repeatable one. We are called to care, not to cure. And you're going to be very glad to know that I'm going to not talk about the curing part. I mean, I could go off there and say, that means no fixing, no healing yourself, no, all the things we want to do to cure a situation or an individual, an individual. So let me say that this is the second part of Call to Care. I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one, because there's a lot of, um, what shall I say, material encasing the six points which became a part of my life and the warp and woof of my life now some 30 years ago. I talked, um, as I'd like to finish talking today, about my friend Susan Larson, who has been the epitome of this title. She seems to have been called to care. We have been friends for over 60 years, and I can honestly tell you that I don't ever remember a disagreement. Now, I know we had them. We were in grade school together. We were high school together. We were snotty teenagers and snotty adolescents, and we've had separations. I'm sure we've wounded one another. And Susan, I know you're listening. I'm sorry. Whatever I did, I'm sorry. I've already forgotten it. I hope you have. And I can't remember anything you've ever done to, to wound me. And that phrase, called to care, has been a phrase that I would say about Susan. I can say it about other people also, but as I introduced her to you in this last show we did, I want to remind you that from my perspective, this woman who has been my friend since the fifth grade, oh, I always think it's the fifth grade, which makes us friends for over 60 years. What does it take to be friends with someone that long? And is there any reason 
that we should be friends with someone that long. Well, Ken Holtling and the men and women from the fellowship founded in Washington, D.C., with the purpose of encouraging others, especially those in power and leadership, who were often being asked for something, that they might become a group of people who came around these powerful men and women who were constantly being asked for something, and instead of asking, they would give. Do you love that idea? Do you love that idea? Do you hope that you are raising children who will, after all their years of mommy, mommy, mommy do, mommy, hey mom, can I have the keys to the car and some cash to fill up the gas tank, that one day they will be the ones who are reaching out to you and caring for you, not as reciprocal, but because you've taught them to care for others. So I want to remind you that these six aspects of being a person who is called to care are one, that we love God with all our heart, mind, and strength. Two, that we maintain a priority in our relationships as demonstrated by the amount of time and attention we give to those relationships. Three, that we will ask God to build into our lives the godly habits that will be made visible. They would be the characteristics of one who follows Christ, of one who is in Christ, of one who would call himself a disciple of Christ. Four, that we will be in heart and action people who care for the poor. Do you care for the poor? Are you aware of the poor? Do you do something to engage in the poor? Five, that we affirm the work of Christ, that it is to believe in Jesus in every situation. And six, that we will give ourselves to working the invisible rather than the visible. And I'll read a passage of scripture that describes that more clearly. So in the last podcast, we talked about uh, steps one and two, that we would love God with all of our heart and mind and strength. And the only thing I want to remind you of in that passage, which is found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 38, and 39, is that he repeats not just the heart, soul, and mind. He repeats the phrase, this is Christ speaking, with all your, with all your, with all your. Now, as a writer, uh, I think my editor would say, yeah, you can ix those words. You don't need to have all the repeated, all your, with all your. You've already said that once. You could love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and be done with it. But Christ, knowing who he's speaking to, these Sadducees and Pharisees, the lawyer who is challenging him by saying, what is the greatest commandment in an era that the commandments were Hmm, almost limitless, 600 or 630 or 680. Now, this lawyer is putting Christ on the spot and saying, so tell me which one, which one is it? Did you ever anybody put you on the spot like that? Well, Christ seems to be very good at as you read the Gospels. And his response is this, simply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment And the second is like it. 
you should love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Oh my gosh, can you hear the symbols crashing as Christ says these words to all of these Pharisees and Sadducees and this lawyer who is trying to put him on the spot? Crashing, just crashing and burning and making all sorts of commotion. How could you possibly? Who do you think you are that you could reduce all of our laws to two and then put them in order? And of course, I've probably been even more audacious than Christ because I have called it the two-step. You know, like the Texas two-step dance, there are two steps, love God, love others. Love God, love others. Maybe that's my writing, and I'm editing out all of these phrases that Christ has used as he responds to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and this lawyer. The second that we maintain our relationships and demonstrate it by time and attention, and this is very significant. I, as a young woman who was trying to apply these six principles into my life to, to make them part of the warp and woof of my life, I wanted to tell me what a priority is and then tell me what I need to do for each one of them. <laughs> and um, my friends in Washington just blew that right out of the water by saying, your priority is where you spend your time and attention. And if you say your priority is God, then how much time and attention are you giving him? And how much time and attention are you letting him give you? It's so easy to say, I pray, I read the Bible, I read this book. But how much time are you listening to God? How much time are you being quiet with God? And the same would be your spouse, your children, and those who you serve. My friend Susan has been extraordinary at this time and attention. Oh, I'm, I'm quite certain I could say that she's called me more than I've called her. I think that's fair. Her attention toward our friendship is, I never feel like I'm putting in more than she's putting in. And after 60 years, that's a lot to be said. And so today we embark on the third through six, which is that we would ask God to build into our lives the godly habits that will be made visible, the characteristics of our life, okay? So then you have to know that coming Following this third point, we will find ourselves embracing seven characteristics. Not that seven is a magic number, it's just that there were seven of them, and I'm going to give them to you, okay? These are the characteristics, the habits. What is a habit? It's something you do habitually, O'Donna thinks. That didn't help very much. But I often giggle and say, I remember my daughter the first time she got in our vehicle and drove out of our garage by herself. And I stood there watching her. She was competent, careful. She had been through driver's training. She had been practicing. She had a driver's license for crying out loud. But I remembered thinking, but, but it, I can get in the car, turn on the ignition, put it in first gear, clutch it, brake it, close the garage door, drive out the driveway, and not having thought about one of those things. My husband and I are watching football together more, and I'm actually, I know, you hear hearing it this first, I'm actually coming to like football as long as I only have to watch the teams I like. 
Okay. But a lot of football is about habit. You think if he's about to catch a ball that's being thrown by the quarterback that many yards that he can pause and say, now where do you think I should stand that he can throw that? No, he's got to be running left and right, and he's got to have his arms up. He's got to remember there are people coming after him. All that's habit. All that's practice, practice, practice. So these things that I'm going to give you are ways to develop habits. Okay, the first habit is to be a person of prayer. John sixteen twenty four, and I will say this to you: within the next couple of weeks, you will find this on our website as a free resource titled "Called to Care: A Person of Prayer." And Jesus says in John, "Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive." For that your joy may be made complete. What is a person of prayer? A person who's asking and asking in the name of Christ. Not asking and then going about doing it on your own. Oh, that was such a hard, it is still a hard one for me. I pray about something and then I think about it in my head and I come up with a cure. And then I go about trying to fix it and leave Christ out of it a person of prayer. Secondly, a person of the word, a person of the word. And in John chapter 3, verses 31 and 32, he says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is above all, and he testifies to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one accepts his testimony. What is he saying? He is a person of the word. Jesus was a person of his father's word. He said he never did anything without the father. He never did anything without talking to the father. He never did anything that he wasn't counting on God's availability to him, the son. And part of these three aspects that these leaders were trying to encourage us to practice were, were labeled under availability, friendship, and support. And a person of the word can be that kind of person, available without taking time from things that are a higher priority, creating friendships that are not short and shallow, and supporting one another in the way that God would call us to support someone. Three, a person who places Christ before possessions. Luke chapter 14, verse 33, and he clearly just simply says, so therefore none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. All your possessions. Did you hear that? All your possessions. Now, does God ask us to give up all our possessions? Not very often. But he asks us to hold our possessions so loosely that if called, we could give them up. My husband and I have played this game for years. So what's the one thing you don't want to give up today? And I can remember David asking it first, and of course, he tricked me. 
He just tricked me because I went for something like practical. I don't even remember what it was. I probably can tell you just what I think it was. I went for something rather surfacely spiritual, like my Bible, you know, or something like that. Or maybe my wedding ring. You know, I don't want to give up my wedding ring. Whatever I said, he just looked at me and smiled and he said, you. And I went, ah. In the first place, I didn't like that he thought I was his possession, but I knew what he meant. But what is it? What is it that you possess? Is it one of your traits, one of your gifts, one of the things you've done? Is it your identity, false or true? You don't want to give that up. It's your possession. So that's almost a two-part question. What do you consider your possessions? And then what is it that you don't want to give up? Do you know what that is? And then would you be prayerful enough to say, Lord, show me what you want me to do with this possession? Four, a person who places Christ before self and others, Luke 14 and 26. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. And I can tell you this very moment where I was when I read that, the shock I had over that. I was a young woman, not married, and I thought to myself, give up my, what What he asked me to give up was everything. A person who, and he uses the strong word hate, and of course I took it literally, um, and I was very highly offended that the scripture would even imply that, yet that Jesus would ask me. But I came to understand that what he was saying is in line with possessions. Would you give up? Would you say father, mother, children, brother, sisters, yes, even my own life? You know, I think sometimes when I ponder this concept, I think it would be easier to give up my own life than it would be to give up my daughter or my grandchildren or my husband. Ah, God has not asked me to do that yet, but I pray that I am continuing to prepare myself as a person whose characteristics that would be visible to the world are that I would be willing to do that. Five, a person who bears fruit person who bears fruit. And what does that mean, a person who bears fruit? What, what does fruit mean in the light of Christ? John 15, chapter 15, verse 8, and here's what that verse says. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. I bear much fruit and become his disciple. Well, what does that mean, bearing fruit? It's very uh, innocuous to me in my early years especially. I thought what I did was my fruit, and some of that's true. But what God has said in this simple verse, in this great passage found in John 15 about the vine, is that I would do things that would glorify God. Oh, Oh my goodness. Now, that's quite different than bearing fruit, isn't it? Because I can do a lot of things that don't glorify God very well, that aren't bad, not, not intrinsically bad at any rate. So this person is a person who bears the fruit of Christ as a disciple. And then um, this is six, a person who nurtures unity 
in the body of Christ, a person that nurtures unity in the body of Christ. And these are three verses found in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20 through 23. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he closes this by saying, The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. And in them you are in me, that they may be complete one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Well, there are a lot of components to that, but it all comes down to the distillation of the realization that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are one. And he is calling us to be that one, complete in him, and that we would show ourselves one. Oh, this has to do with unity in the body and Paul speaks of unity in body many places in the epistle. I can tell you, as I said a few days ago on this podcast, certainly our country is not united as one. We are divided, and contempt reigns on this culture. And I say to those of us who desire, desire what this characteristic of a disciple is that we would have godly habits that we would nurture the body of Christ to find unity with one another that means as my friend Joan who came to speak to us as one of my friends that I wanted you to meet talked about the spirit of agreement that she and her husband had come to practice in their marriage well unity is coming to agreement and that means that sometimes I have to say I don't think that's what I should do I think to be in unity with my husband with others with my church is to do what they think needs to be done and then lastly a person who loves just a person who loves now we're not talking about um, the kind of love we hear in our culture we're talking about the kind of love that Christ reminds us of in John 13 34 and 35 and he says I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you you also should love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another now we talked about loving your enemy I think it's hard to love those who are a part of our lives. Love does not change. My lifelong friend, Susan, who has been an important part of my life, and recently my husband and I were visiting with a psychologist who has been our friend for decades, and he, we were having this conversation about fixing, curing, or allowing someone to feel. And he was using fixing and feel in the same way that I'm using caring and cure. And when someone tells you something about how they feel, and they go, and out comes stuff that you know it's not terrific for them, and you know that you, if they did this, they could fix it. And our friend was saying, oh, yeah, I know. That happens to me. And he was talking about his wife. And 
we were talking about marriages and, and how now we've been married a long time. They've been married for 47 years. And we were talking about the fact that we have to resist that fixing and allow someone to feel, just feel it, say it, because love for them doesn't change by what they feel. And, and I said sometimes when people express feelings like that that are so personal and so intense, I get afraid. And he said, yes, of course we get afraid. And when we're fearful, we want to fix. Well, my friend Susan has, has demonstrated love that does not change. Um, on my 50th birthday, which was uh, two decades and a half ago, she flew in from Chicago and changed the course of my physical life. You see, Susan is an international yoga instructor. And let me tell you that in those days, being an international yoga instructor was not a common occurrence. And she came, she came for this big party that my husband and daughter had planned, and she stayed. She didn't give me my birthday gift until after the party foo-foos were over. It was quite an extravaganza. And she said, so here's my gift to you. My gift to you is yoga. And I remember thinking, I don't want that gift. Like, I don't know yoga, I don't do yoga, I wasn't even sure I liked yoga. But she took me to lunch and she said, if you want, and I was 50 years old, if you want strength, stamina, and flexibility, do yoga. <laughs> I didn't want to do yoga, but I wanted strength, stamina, and flexibility. I wanted that, and I was determined to accept her proposal. She had purchased a book for me, she had purchased an outfit for me, and she gave me the first hour of yoga I ever had in my life. Talk about a memorable moment. I am to this day still practicing yoga on a mat in my home in front of the mirror. And I do have strength, stamina, and flexibility. And as I've gotten older, I find my little balance. You know, you start to fall. But because I can stand on one leg and make a tree and other things, my balance registers me out. And I read the social science about that, the, the fact that in my brain, in my brain, my brain says, you can stand on one leg. And when I start to fall, where normally my brain wouldn't be sure I could stand on one leg because I have practiced this for 25 years, I, my brain says, you can do this. And I've yet to fall. Well, love does not change. And the last two points under this very long point on how we build these godly habits into our lives is that we become a person who helps others discover Christ. Do you talk about your love for Christ with others? Matthew 28, which is familiar to those of us who are in the church, go therefore and make disciples. And he speaks of all the nations, baptizing them in all lands. Yes. Do you speak of Christ? Are you ashamed to be called a follower of Christ? Are you just becoming a follower of Christ and you don't know yet what to speak? Speak of your love, the love that Christ has given to you. And lastly, a person with godly habits built into them who make visible the characteristics of Christ is a person who relies on the Holy Spirit relies on the Holy Spirit. You say, Don, I don't know much about the Holy Spirit. You know what? I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit either. It wasn't too many decades ago that I thought, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? And, and how do I know the Holy Spirit is in me? And in Acts chapter 1, 
verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be witnesses. And he lists places that we will be witnesses. And this is the first church. This is the first church after Christ has left and been resurrected, ascended, gone back to his father. And he gives this reminder. And remember when John, in the book of John, when the disciples are coming to face the fact that Christ is leaving them, and they get kind of upset. We don't want you to go. No, you can't go. We need, and Christ says, I must go for something better will come. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. And if you follow Christ, the Spirit lives within you and empowers you. Well, that is a very long point three of the six points. The fourth point is that we will, in heart and action, care for the poor. Pretty broad statement. And I don't know what you're doing to care for the poor. But Christ tells us that the poor will be with us always. And in your community, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your children's school, in your husband's work, there are the poor. Ask God what you can do to help care for them. And then five, that we affirm the work of Christ, which is to believe in Jesus at every turn. And this is a very powerful piece of information to me because I had struggled with this. Uh, Do I believe Jesus in every situation? Well, I don't want to believe that the loving Jesus is in my sorrow or my suffering or that his plan for me is bigger than what I can see. But in Matthew 18 and 19, we see, again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for me by my Father in heaven. Now, does that mean you're just asking God for a new Mercedes or to fill up your bank account with lots of money? No, we're talking about the characteristic of someone who asks the Father for something they believe that will be needed and useful in your life. And as I mentioned, my friend Joan, who has taken this power of agreement into marriage, and now she and her husband are helping young couples understand it as well. Two, pray for the laborers of all aspects of our society. Three, since it is difficult to think of a worldwide task that you might do, put yourself into circumstances that would allow you to see something that needed to be done on the worldwide task. These men and women in Washington, I will never forget this, said very clearly, find a world map. You must have one in a Bible, in a book, somewhere, go online. And you want to know how to pray for others in the world? You've never left your own city, your own town, your own country. How do you, want, how do you know about other places in the world? Well, the idea was to, to put your finger on the map somewhere. Never forgotten this. And this man told the story of, um, he put his finger on the map of Uganda. He'd never been to Uganda, could hardly say it, didn't know the language, didn't know anything about them. And he began to watch how often Uganda came up in conversation, on the news, in a book. And the coup de coup for him was walking into an event one day and being seated next to a beautiful black woman who turned out to be a princess. Did you hear that? Turned out to be a princess. And... When they sat down and introduced each other, he said, now he thought about it later, he thought I should have known. When I said, and where are you from, and what did she say? Uganda. 
and they became life friends. So you want to be worldwide? Get your kids together. Put your finger on a map somewhere and start praying for that country. These things were embedded in my heart through this wonderful series of things that changed the course of my life. And lastly, six, that we will give ourselves to working the invisible rather than the visible. And I'll end our time with this passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Is eternal. What cannot be seen is eternal. The eternal, invisible God lives within you if you are a person who have said yes, the first yes to Christ, which says, I surrender the way I'm doing life, and I want to do life the way you want me to do life. These six points, which I've never shared um, in all my public speaking ministries, have been points that have changed the course of my life, literally. And people like Susan, who have loved me long and hard and have been the kind of friend who was called to care, has helped me desire to be a person who is called to care. Believe me, I am not a caring person in the way I hope to be before I leave this earth. But I can see God's working in me, the invisible God who lives in me, invisible. I can do visible things that represent him. Love changes. Love changes us. Love does not change, but love changes us. So remember that these things are part of our call to care for others. Thank you, Susan, for being that to me in all these decades. And for those of you who have joined us, and I hope you have pulled both of these together. They are long and full of deep materials. I hope you have listened through and taken parts of it. I hope you will re-listen to this material and look for the resource on our website. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day to care as Christ would. 